So if you open your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. And we just want to look at a few verses. We're not going to exegete it the way we, we, we would have this morning or did this morning, but certainly I want us to see the, the main highlights here. I'm sure for many of this, this is review. First uh, John is a, 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 a book that many of us love. Um, but to sort of dive into uh, the three areas that all temptation will, will attack us. First okay? John chapter 2, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The apostle, the beloved apostle, John, writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our fathers, always we ask that you would be so kind to open our our hearts and our minds and our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ. Here we are confronted that every temptation we face will feed on these desires. And would we, in knowing the strategy of our enemy, uh, be aware of it and um, not fall for the bait? So Lord, help us uh, this evening. May I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. Seated. Although I am someone who, who loves the fish, I, I don't get the fish as much as I would like to, and that's really just all my fault, frankly. Uh, but I do love the fish and try to go when I can. And this is one of the things I miss about um, Breckenridge County is we lived at a vacation spot. And I could walk to a you know, giant lake and just fish all day long. And then I could really walk to a, a member's house who had a pond and no one's fishing out of anymore. I mean, that's, that's a gold mine. There's fish in there. No one else is fishing it. It's all to me, right? And she needs my help getting some of those bigger bass out of there, you know? And who am I to turn her down? Um, but the concept of fishing is pretty simple, right? There's two parts to, to fishing. There's the bait... And the hook. Uh, so you city folk may not know what I'm talking about. You put the bait, whatever it is the fish like to eat and are tempted by, you put it on the hook. And when they see uh, that dangling in the water, they think free lunch and they bite and the hook goes in their mouth. You reel them in and then you take a picture. Uh, you may need to take it from a distance so the fish looks larger and uh, or maybe up close. I don't, I'm not the photographer, but you tell all your buddies that fish was chaw big, right? Chaw big. You have to measure it by your arm for you city folks. The way it works. That fish, it wasn't chaw big. It's chaw big, right? And, and while it's suffocating out there, you take your pictures. Look what I did. Look what I did. And then you, of course, uh, for you animal lovers, you put them back into the water. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Christian comedians, Brad Stein, makes a joke about how the, the, the concept of fishing is so simple, uh, we would fall for it. I mean, imagine if some of you, if, if someone you love put a hook in your morning pancakes. You're going down, right? You know, if, 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 if come Thanksgiving, my mother puts a hook in her mashed potatoes, 
that I will have a volcano of mashed potatoes, right? I may put a hole in the middle for the gravy for the glory of God, but I will have real mashed potatoes from real potatoes. Not that fake powder stuff you get over at Save-A-Lot. No, no, no. This is Thanksgiving, and, and you don't count calories on Thanksgiving, right? That's a sin. And so I'll have a big thing of mashed potatoes. I have a giant pile of mac and cheese, and if there's room, there will be turkey. If there was a hook somewhere on that plate, I will go down, and that is the way to go, right? Fishing is a very simple concept. And yet, strikingly, the Bible uses that concept to describe temptation, which shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us. Being that James is from Galilee, and a, a good percentage of the first disciples were fishermen themselves, this, this metaphor, this illustration for temptation makes sense. So James arrives in James 1, each one is tempted when he is carried away, enticed by his own lusts, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That word enticed, think of it as a hook, a baited hook. There it is, dangling in the water, enticing us, and we go for a bite. Thus, temptation is a hook in an alluring and enticing bait. What I want us to do this evening and Lord willing next evening is uh, we want to look at both the bait and the hook of temptation. And we'll only be able to look at the bait here uh, this week. And Lord willing, we will highlight the hook of temptation next week. But let's start with the bait. You see him here. This is probably not, not new material for, for you, but maybe it is. And, and, and the first bait is the lust of the eyes. Now, we have stated before that men are visual, Right, we we see things, and I've I've used the illustration before. Really, the scientific uh, exploration that men take pictures. Right, for those who who will do symbols with us in February, we'll talk about this. Men are picture uh, uh, mental mind's eye picture ta uh, takers. Right, and so that is why I can take you to a precise table we sat at. Uh, on Hurstbourne Lane at Olive Garden, I can tell you exactly where we sat. I don't know how many years ago. And if I get enough thought, I could probably tell you what my wife wore, you know, and, and I'm, I can't tell you why we were at Olive Garden, Hurstbourne Lane. I don't know why. Who cares about that? But I remember that right there. Why? For some reason, I took a picture of that, right? Listen to how men talk and what will come out of their memories and their thoughts will be pictures. But, but it isn't just men who are visual. Women are visual as well. They just, they just notice different things. For example, women do notice, they, they notice design and they notice minute things better than men. I shared with you a few weeks ago of living with four other guys and in, 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 a, in an apartment off Hurstbourne. And no, we didn't go to Olive Garden then. I had a very limited budget. Uh, I had to save $50 of my $100 weekly uh, paycheck in order to pay rent. We didn't eat at the Olive Garden, okay? Uh, we ate off of her, uh, her little uh, card, her meal plan card at the University of Louisville. That's what we ate, right? Anyways, um, uh, it, 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 my wife would come in and, and, and she would say, I, I, I can't stand to be here. You have no decorations whatsoever, right? I may have shared this a few weeks ago. I said, well, we got decorations. In, in my room next to my bed, there is a poster on the wall of the band Spoken and they all signed it. I love that decoration, right? She said, That's not what I'm talking about, right? And one of the things you'll notice that young men notice is, is that, that a wife will turn a house into a home. I don't know how they do it, but they do it, right? 
And a lot of it is, is the smells and the design and all, all that little goofy stuff that men just find really a waste of time and not to mention money. Um, for, so for example, right, I, I, I assume no one notices belts. No one notices this. I am wrong in that assumption. The older I get, the more I realize only women notice belts. Now, if I have a large, uh, uh, you know, uh, a belt buckle, you know, it says go cards or something, it's not just going to be the women that notices my cowboy belt, obviously. I'm talking about a boring, a boring garden variety belt. Women notice these things. I don't know why they notice these things. They do notice these things. So it isn't that only men are visual. Women are certainly uh, visual as, as well. In fact, uh, this gift as visual, bless, uh, visual creatures can be a real blessing. Think about it. We don't just create things. We have art. We, we, we don't just build things. We design. Think about it. This church had to get together, and they had to talk about building this building. We, we've had three major, I believe, three major building projects, right? First, it's, it's this back part here, and the sanctuary is over here. And then eventually it was the sanctuary itself. And then was the addition uh, that we did, I think, back in 2007. And all along the way, what the church did not debate is, do we want extra space? Along with the need for the extra space was, what's it going to look like? Think about it. We, these, these are important questions. Why is it that every Protestant church, uh, even Catholic church, that the, the vertical is very evident? We have steeples here. You go into an a, a, a old classic uh, age Catholic church, you're going to see these lines designed. Why? Uh, well, because that draws the worshiper to the heavens, that, that, that there is, is where the throne of, of God is, right? And so we design these things. We design them because we are visual. But this gift, this blessing, can also be a source of great temptation. We often go from not needing anything, right, to all of a sudden we need to buy something the second we walk into the store or the second we start scrolling on our phones. Have you noticed this? It's perfectly content five minutes ago until I walked by and saw something I just absolutely had to have. I was doing just fine until that, those commercials came on. All of a sudden, I thought, you know, a Whopper would be real good right now. You know, right now, I, I, I could really go for X, Y, or Z over at the Wally Marks, right? Because, because, because we're, we're visual. Commercials are designed to, to attract your, your attention. Marketers spend billions of dollars each year uh, to study what it is that appeals to consumers. Magazines hire graphic designers in order to sell you more magazines. I learned this buying comics when I was a little kid. They would have a cool picture on the front that had nothing to do with the story on the inside. Oh, look, Spider-Man's going to fight the Green Goblin. Great. He might show up on the last page. I didn't know it was one of like 10, 10 issues you had to get to get the whole story. Looks like Spider-Man's going to throw down with Green Goblin. But what are they trying to do? Just trying to get you to buy the comic itself. Churches over the years have utilized art. We have fought over carpet colors, and some of that is important, right? And we have reimagined our space um, all to appeal to, to the eyes. And not all of that's bad. But how often are we told with this temptation for, with, with the lust of the eyes that if we had a body like this or tried a certain product or followed this diet, whatever it might be, we could look like this. We could, we could win, men or women, if we look like that. We could drive cars like this, have a lifestyle like that. 
And in this sense, we become like Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Remember the story, the, the, the rule was, don't steal anything from them. What did Achan do? He saw the riches, and he took. What about Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved the name in uh, The Voyage of the Don Treader, Chronos of Narnia. Remember, whenever uh, Eustace saw the dragon's uh, horde, and there was no dragon, we started to, to put it on him, and then he realized he was the dragon. And he couldn't escape. The Bible warns against the lust of the eyes. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in, in his heart. Proverbs 6, 25, Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Ecclesiastes 1a, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I gaze at a woman? And that's the key there, right? Far too many of us haven't made that covenant with our eyes that we will not be led astray. And so, 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 so John is showing us here that, that, that a common bait that we fall into temptation for is the eyes. You can go back to the story of David, and what does he find? She is beautiful. She's beautiful. And he sees, so he takes. Secondly, in this text, is the lust of the flesh. And by the flesh in general, we can describe human desire, but, but the Bible is very clear. There is, uh, it is very critical of human flesh, of human desire. First of all, the Bible tells us that the flesh is limited. It is limited. So Matthew 16, 17, uh, Jesus answering, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. You notice what Jesus said there. Yeah, you just confess I am the uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, your flesh didn't get you there, right? That was, that was like God that did that for you. Why? Because the flesh is limited. Romans 6, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He said, I got to use these illustrations because you're slow. And you're slow because you're human in the flesh holds us back from the real beauty of, 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 of spiritual things. Remember, Jesus says, if, if you can understand human things, how you understand, or earthly things, how will you understand spiritual things? There's a limitation in, in our flesh. Secondly, the flesh is weak, according to the Bible. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. We've all experienced that every time we say, all right, after the holidays, I'm going to go on a diet. Right. In fact, a, a friend of mine found out this week he started a diet two weeks ago. Like, why? <laughs> right. I mean, the, the ship has sailed on that. Right. The, 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 the plane is boarding. It is too late for that nonsense. You get a month and a half. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Come January, make a New Year's resolution, lose you a few pounds so that you can gorge down the next Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right. 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 Baptists, don't judge me. You're thinking the same thing. But the spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. Paul state in Romans 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Well, that's a hard verse to read, isn't it? Especially whenever we're tempted to believe that I can fix my own problems, I can overcome my own temptations, I can do this or that. Well, but thirdly, the Bible tells us that the flesh is easily corrupted. Jesus states in John 8, You judge according to the flesh. And Jesus is like, Oh, that's not the way I roll. All right, homie, don't play that game. You judge according to the flesh. 
Therefore, it's easily corrupted. Paul stated in Romans 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. Notice there, it's, it's easily corruptible. Fourthly and finally, the Bible tells us that the flesh opposes righteousness. Scripture is very clear on this. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Notice the connection between the flesh metaphor and desires. Now make provisions for it. It opposes righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It opposes righteousness. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. Notice there, it is the Spirit of God that overcomes the flesh. It is the flesh that opposes righteousness. Galatians 5.13, Paul will add, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. By the way, I took this out this morning. Notice that word opportunity. I think we talked about that this morning, right? But through love, serve one another. Finally, in 2 Peter 2, I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or because the flesh opposes the spirits. See, the problem here isn't that desires are, are, are bad necessarily. It's what we do with them. Lewis is right when he says that, that desires point us to, to something greater. If, if I have a desire within me that nothing in this world can fully satisfy, could it not be because I was meant for another world? And that's the ultimate hope. But what we try to do is we try to circumvent our hope of having our desires ultimately fulfilled in Christ, and we try to fulfill them in, with the limitations of, of this world. So we can have good desires, Right? And what we do with them can be good. I desire to provide for my family, so I'll work, right? I desire to have a robust marriage, so I'll date my spouse. I desire to grow spiritually, so I'll read my Bible, right? These are good desires and how we respond to those desires in good ways. These are all good things. The problem is, is when we turn good things into God things. We can easily turn work into a type of savior, where our identity is in our accomplishments and, and, and the pay we receive, the benefits we receive, the people we get to know, how we climb the corporate ladder, whatever it might be. We can find real meaning in, in, there. We can turn love into lust. We can turn possessions into idols. These are good things into, in, into God things. So watch for that bait, John is saying. Not just the lust of the eyes, but the lust of the flesh. He then describes for us the pride of life. Now, pride, you should know by now, is constantly rebuked in the Bible. We can only do a brief survey. Three things. First of all, pride is foolishness. Pride is foolishness. Solomon will say, when pride comes, then comes disgrace with the humble wisdom. Notice there. With disgrace, that's foolishness. Humility comes wisdom. In chapter 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Um, I just, I love it. Every time I see this verse, I, I, I think of Miss Sue. Y'all remember Miss Sue? She, she had her walker. You remember what she called her walker? Pride. You remember why? Because pride goes before the fall. <laughs> I just, you remember that? Oh, I miss Miss Sue. She was something. 
She was something. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Paul will say, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What a fool that is. Now, give those people social media uh, access. Does it make sense? Proverbs 26.12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Look at there. Pride makes you worse than a fool. Pride is foolishness. Secondly, pride is ungodly. In James chapter 4, it says, He gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Verse 16, 5, Everyone who is arrogant and heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Ouch. Ouch. Pride. Pride is ungodly. Thirdly, pride destroys. Just one verse for you, just for the sake of time. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I love this verse. First four verses of Philippians 2 are very, very important because it connects humility and unity and at the root of it is, is love. Notice there that with pride comes division, conceit, destruction. We saw that this morning. Humility will come unity. Theologians have long debated if pride or selfishness was the true root of all sin. And I suspect they are really two sides of the same coin. Selfishness feeds on pride and pride feeds on selfishness. Regardless, pride isn't always necessarily a bad thing, right, when you think about it. A man who rises early in the morning to work does so because his pride won't let him uh, fail to provide for his family. That's a good thing. We need more proud, proud men, don't we, in this, in this country. A man will protect his family when they are in danger. He'll check the locks of his house before he goes to bed. He'll buy a new gun before his daughter starts dating um, and when she's a teenager, whatever it might be, right? Now, why does he do that? Pride. Pride. Of course, honey, I want you to get married. They're going to meet my expectations and standards, which are higher than yours, right? As they should be, right? Because you ladies watch too much Disney princesses. That's your problem. That's your problem. You need to watch more old westerns, right? I, I don't know. But isn't this why we parents will say that we are proud of our kids? Proud of you today. Proud of the person you've become. That's a, that's a good thing. Many of us, we, we, we remember those times our, our, our mother or father said how they were proud of us. It meant the world to us, isn't it? I've told you before that every man wants to achieve two things in life. One, he wants to make his father proud. Secondly, he wants to prove his father-in-law wrong, right? Those two things. Pride are in both of those. But just like it is with the eyes or just like it is with the flesh, Pride is easily, and I would say usually, abused. Just to give you one biblical example, and that, that of course, would be Nebuchadnezzar, right? What did, what did uh, Nebi say? Remember? Look at all this. Look at all how awesome I am. I, I've bought into my own PR. I am an awesome dude. And in an instant, the judgment of God brings him to humility. It's amazing that our pride can build great things, and the same pride can destroy great things. So you've got to watch for that bait. 
Is the temptation just going to feed your arrogance and your need for affirmation and admiration? Is that what's going on here? Watch for that bait. It is hooked and it will destroy you. Well, if you don't mind in the time that remains, let's have a Bible study, shall we? Will you turn with me to to Genesis chapter 3? Genesis 3. You could probably already tell where this is going. Maybe after six years of here at East Frankfurt, you could probably tell that if you want to understand the Bible, understand its first three chapters. Much like if you read a book, read the introduction, you already know what the book is about. The Bible is, is really no different. Understand the first three chapters and you'll understand everything else in the Bible. Now remember, what is it that we were looking for? We're, we're looking for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Let's see if we can find them, shall we? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, you know the story. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, delightful to the eyes, tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, she gave to her husband who ate with her and he ate. Notice the pattern there? Notice that she saw, we'll come back to that, she saw that the tree was good for food. What is that? Come on, Baptist, you know what this is? It's the lust of the flesh. She's hungry. Looks good. Potluck. Time to eat. Lust of the flesh. It can't be that bad. It looks as juicy as all the other ones. Well, my stomach's really going to like me. I'll be full. I'll be satisfied. Then notice, it, it says not only did she see that it was good for food, it was delightful to the eyes. That's very clear what that is, isn't it? So it isn't, isn't just that it's fruit that will feed you. There's a lot of things in this world that'll, that'll, that'll give you nutrients. You ain't going to eat, right? But this was delightful. It looked good. It was desirable. And it was more desirable than everything else that she had gotten used to eating. No doubt it was presented on a fancy plate. My, my brother and I, many of you all know I was in, I was in uh, Arizona last week, and um, uh, my brother and I went to Arizona when we were kids. And I don't remember a whole lot there. And I've shared some of that with, with y'all uh, already. And one of the things my brother mentioned last night, I was talking to him, is he, he said, we were there with my great aunt named Estel. She, she has since passed. But uh, we were at an Estel's house, and um, she would make us a sandwich. But Aunt Estel, particularly as she aged, would get distracted by her cats. She had a lot of cats. Insert about a thousand jokes I can make here, but we ain't got time. Um, and she got so distracted by making it look fancy. Right? We would watch the Phoenix Suns play a basketball game. Who We were big fans of Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson and uh, A.C. Green and all of them. This is back when they were good. And um, we'd watch like an entire game waiting for two sandwiches to come out of that kitchen. And when they would finally come, and we're, we're starving, right? And she, she has, she's gotten the fancy leaves. I don't know if you eat those or not. Uh, whatever they are, <laughs> just make it fried and I'm fine, I guess. And then she, she would have it all designed and, and there'd be a pickle. I don't know why. And it would just be, just, just be, per there's, there's the toothpicks, right? But not just a boring toothpick. The toothpicks with the, with the little colored things on the top. And, and she would present them. And, you know, because we were catching, we rarely saw Aunt Estelle, Right. Uh, unless someone had died in Kentucky, we never got to see her. And so she went out of her way. And, and I remember, we just grab and scarf, right? 
But what is he doing? The, the, the presentation, right? There, there's a difference between uh, your burger, how it looks at McDonald's, and this burger I had, uh, it was a Tuesday in Sedona. Oh my goodness, this, this burger. You talk about lust of the flesh. Let me tell you. The things I would do to have that burger again, it was called a bison burger. It had barbecue on it and bacon. Aren't you glad that we're, we're uh, Protestant Gentiles to the glory of God? And, and it was so good. Guys, so good, right? Uh, as we say in the South, making one smack your mama, right? Right? That's what I imagine what this fruit is. It's good for the flesh, uh, delightful to the eyes. That burger was presented very differently than your average McDonald's or Wendy's burger, right? You do not order Wendy's for the way it looks. You order for, or McDonald's or Hardee's, whatever, but, but because of its convenience. So it's delightful for the eyes. Finally there, notice that uh, it was desirable to make one wise. That was the great lie, wasn't it? You will become like God. You see it there? All the way back in Genesis 3. Less of the eyes, less of the flesh, the pride of life. Well, turn with me to Genesis 16. Again, this shouldn't be new to those of you who've been coming on Wednesday nights. Genesis 16, we, we've referenced this several times. We can't Go in sort of detail that I, I, I would like. The story of Sarah giving Hagar over to Abraham. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram, Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, his wife. He went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Do you see any connections with the Genesis story here, the Genesis 3 story? We, we won't highlight all of them. First of all, notice verse 2, Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. Adam did the same thing to Eve. What was the temptation of Eve? Lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life. Notice also that Sarai took Hagar and gave to Abram the same language as used in Genesis 3 of Eve, taking the fruit and giving to her husband. It's the same story. Finally, notice verse 4, she saw. She saw. And what is it that, that she, she sees? She, one of the things she sees is she has no children. And she sees a slave girl who can provide children for her household. The, the child to Hagar would be uh, an heir of, uh, legally through Abraham and, and Sarai because Hagar is just a slave. No one cares about her, at least in the narrative. And there's also the desires of flesh here. Abraham is sleeping with another woman, the pride of life, the, the joy of being called a mother. Right there in the text. Can we look at one more and then we can go home? One more? You should know where this is going. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to talk about Jesus. Matthew 4. I've shown you this before. Matthew 1 to really the whole book, but... Matthew 1 to 7 is a retelling of the Exodus story. Right? Um, just to show you a few ways this is done. Uh, Jesus has to come out of Egypt. In fact, he quotes Hosea. Out of Egypt I call my son, which is a reference back to the Exodus stories. That's in Matthew 2. Right? And, and uh, Herod is very much a, a Pharaoh figure who kills babies. Very much like Pharaoh. Um, chapter 3 is the baptism of Jesus. 
right? So Jesus passes through water. And the way we usually think is Jesus enters the water and he comes out the way he entered. Actually, he enters the water and he goes out the other way. And where does he go? Into the wilderness. Not for 40 years, but for 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is true and better Israel here. And he has his own Exodus story. And where Israel failed, Jesus triumphs, right? So just as Israel passed through the waters, their own baptism, so Jesus passes through the waters to fulfill all righteousness, and he enters the wilderness. And then in the wilderness, in chapter 4, he faces the same temptations as Israel. So if we had time, we could take chapter 4 and this temptation, go all the way back to Deuteronomy and Exodus, and I can show you these same temptations that are facing the Israelites. It wouldn't be that difficult to do. By the way, I said it's through chapter 7. Chapters 5 and 7, while in the wilderness, what does Moses do? He gives the people a new law. He goes to the mountain, gives them a law. What do you get in Matthew? You have the temptation in chapter 4, followed by Jesus climbing a mountain and giving a law, Sermon on the Mount. It's the same story. All right? And, and we, we've done that before. I, I won't do it again but, uh, in further detail. But, but it is important for us to, to understand the temptation of Jesus. Notice there, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice, as God led Israel into the wilderness, so the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for the same purposes. It's a time of testing and temptation. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You remember the story of, of, of the Exodus when they become hungry and thirsty? Same story. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is that temptation? It's food. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the same temptation Eve had in the garden. Genesis 3, 6. It was good for food. What is the temptation? If you are the Son of God, I wish we had time to look at that phrase. If you are the Son of God, it, 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 surely God doesn't want you to go hungry. Just turn these stones into bread. I won't tell anyone. And you will be full. You will be satisfied. All that you desire will be given, given to you. Jesus says, no, no, no. I am content in God. All that he gives me, I will receive and nothing more. Verse 5 through 7, the second temptation in Matthew's account. The devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. By the way, Jesus only quotes from Deuteronomy, not because he only memorized one book of the Bible as a little boy, but because he, the, he wants the reader to see this is the same story of the the exodus satan here is quoting from the psalms out of context and everything else but jesus says i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bite i see the bait and i see the hook and by the way this is going to be one of our hooks we'll see lord willing next week but what is this temptation here it is of course the pride of life he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple it says if you will throw yourself down here what's going to happen the angels will catch you can you imagine how awesome that would look on youtube my goodness, CNN will cover that around, around, around 24 hours a day. They won't talk about anything else. CNN, I mean, come on. Don't you want to be on CNN? It's the pride of life. Jesus didn't come to be famous. He came to be a savior. He didn't come to sell books. He came to save souls. Finally, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. Again, he is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And what is this? Lest the eyes. Notice he, he says, okay, I will show you all the kingdoms of the world. All of them. 
And they could be yours if the price is right. What does Jesus say? They're already mine. They're already mine. It's not an accident. Jesus will then respond after the temptation by saying, repent. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. In chapter 5, what is it? We get the ethics of the king. They're already mine. It doesn't look like it. But I assure you, they're already his. Isn't this the great hope of Revelation? The kings of the nations come and declare war. What does Jesus do? He mounts a horse and lays the smack down. The kingdom wins. Christ is triumphant. But it's bait. With shortcuts, Tolkien reminds us, make long delays. And by the way, don't miss verse 11 of this passage. We don't have time to get into all of it, but just to highlight it. The devil left him, and then who, who came? The angels. Which is the actual fulfillment of what Satan had quoted in the second temptation. The angels caught him in his moment of need. You see it there? Same pattern everywhere you look in the Bible. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. See, if you're fishing, there's only certain bait you're going to use, whether it's artificial or natural, whatever. But you're not going to use motor oil as baits. You're not going to use chippings from the church pew as baits. You're not going to use your old gym uh, uh, sneakers from gym class in high school. You're not going to use those things because they don't work. Fish aren't interested in that. But I can tell you what we are interested in all the way back to the garden. It's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And when that is dangled before us, be aware and do not bite. Because the hope of this passage is Christ did not give in. Like us in every way yet without sin, so that in him we too can and are triumphant. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Our Father,